Uh, welcome, PC3. My name's Daniel, if I haven't met you. Um, and if you guys have been with us, if you guys have been following along, you know that the last four weeks we have spent... Um, the spent a good amount of time talking about relationships. We've talked about what it looks like to pursue wisdom in dating. We looked, uh, we talked through what it looks like to have boundaries in dating. We, we looked through, man, what does it look like to get ready for marriage? And then we had a panel just asking people lots of questions about what relationships look like and what it looks like to be single, what it looks like to date, what it looks like to uh, pursue getting married. The reason we spent that much time, just to reiterate, doing that is because um, the person you marry is the second biggest decision you could make in your life. And so uh, we topically went through that and uh, spent four weeks on that because it, we believe it's an important topic for you guys. Um, however, uh, we're excited to make a shift um, going back to what we normally do, which is walking through a book of the Bible. So tonight we're kicking off a series walking through uh, the book of First John, which if you don't know where that's at, it's towards the end of the Bible. And uh, we're walking through a, first, uh, a series called So That You May Know the Truth. So that's going to be the, the series title, and um, it's because as we see constantly throughout this book, So That You May Know. Uh, John is really good about explaining to us why he, he writes his letters, and so uh, this is what we're going to be looking at for the next, uh, I believe, six or seven weeks. Uh, I believe it's six because I, I made the schedule. So it's going to be the next six weeks walking through this. But I want to give you guys a little bit of context before we jump in. Um, we, you, you guys are probably most, um, re- most uh, familiar with the writings of Paul. As you get past the Gospels, you, you look and most commonly you think of Romans or Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, and, and so much of Paul's writing is a very specific way. And then we get to John's writing, and John writes differently. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the uh, author of the Bible, but uh, God uses people in the specific style of writing to communicate a specific, a specific way. So a few things you should know about John. John is an apostle of Jesus, and at this time, he's likely one of the last, the, one of the last remaining apostles. He's one of the last people who walked with Jesus and was with him. John also is very direct. He, he does not waste time, and, and he speaks in a very black and white manner, which if you've ever read through 1 John and you've been confused, that might be why. Because if you read through Paul's letters, he sometimes can uh, be a little more gray, and it's maybe a little more confusing. But Paul, or John, rather, he is very direct in his writing. And the reason it's named First uh, John and not um, the, na- the name isn't like Ephesians or Galatians, which is who Paul is writing to, is because uh, John was not writing this letter to one specific church, but most likely a group of churches. Okay, so um, that, that is the background on John, and as he's writing this, he's writing this because what Paul warned about in some of his letters are happening. So Paul spends a lot of his time talking through what it looks like to be aware of false teachers, and uh, the churches in this time when John's writing the letter have allowed false teachers to infiltrate their churches, and there's confusion about um, what they should believe. And we'll get there, we'll get to the text, but as we do, we said that the sermon series title is So That You May Know the Truth. 
we here unapologetically believe that we have the one singular truth. In a world where you are being told by media, by teachers, by peers, by all sorts of people that you can have your own truth, we here believe that that is not true. In a world where you have uh, media companies who are both, who are saying opposite things, I mean, you think of CNN and Fox, you could not think of two more polarizing um, companies who are telling the news, who are both proclaiming as what they say to be true, and they're oftentimes saying the opposite things. So how are we in a world where everyone is proclaiming that I have my truth and you have your truth and we have this truth and you have that truth? How in that world can we know and how can I know and how can I stand up here and say to you that I believe that we here have the one singular truth above everything? Well, that's actually what we're going to be getting into and that's what we're going to be hopefully getting into a bit tonight. How can you know? Well, John is going to tell us. So, um, as we jump in, I have uh, two ideas we're going to be walking through tonight. Um, the gift of fellowship and the proof of fellowship. So, those are going to be the, the two ideas for note takers. The gift of fellowship and the proof of fellowship. All right. So, with that, the first one, the gift of fellowship. For any of you who are using your phones to look at the scripture, I'm in NIV tonight. And it'll be on the screen as well. 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have, what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his, with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let's pause there. So John, unlike Paul, doesn't start with a greeting. He, he literally just jumps right into what he's trying to convey to the people. So we need to understand what the false teachers were proclaiming because it's going to give insight to why John starts here. So um, there was a, um, a philosophy infiltrating the church called Gnosticism. All right, And what the Gnostics were preaching and proclaiming, there were multiple things. So the Gnostics were proclaiming that Jesus wasn't actually human. All right, So that, that's the first um, big thing that they were teaching is that Jesus wasn't actually human. The next thing that they were teaching is that we don't actually have a sin issue because we're not truly our flesh, but we're actually more our spirit. So if we sin, it's not really us. And, and they believed also, kind of weirdly, that uh, they didn't have a problem with sin, which is going to make sense as we continue reading on. But the Gnostics were uh, confusing the church with these wacky beliefs. 
So John, uh, instead of saying, hey, they're teaching this and this isn't true, this is true, John is just simply starting with, hey, I'm not even going to address that. I'm not even going to say what they're saying. I'm literally just going to point you back to what we believe. So in verse 1 and 2, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John starts with, hey, from the beginning, and this wouldn't, this wouldn't mean from the beginning of time. This in the beginning would be from the, since the beginning of us preaching this message, this is the reality. He's saying, look, we have seen him. So we were with him. We, we saw Jesus. We saw him because the, the subject is the word of life. So the word of life would be the gospel and Jesus. It would be talking about those two things. So he's saying, look, we, we saw him. We, we saw what happened. And we also heard him. We heard what he proclaimed. We heard him preaching about the kingdom. We heard him talking about repenting and placing our faith in him. And, and, he, and on top of that, we touched him. Why would that be important? Okay, he, he is going through a list of senses saying, man, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. He was, in fact, real. He was, in fact, human. And to believe that Jesus isn't human is actually uh, profoundly, uh, it would be profound against the Christian faith because Christians cannot believe in a Jesus who is not human. Because if Jesus isn't human, then what he did for us doesn't count. So you guys have probably heard, yeah, Jesus died on the cross and say, oh, that, that's great. But, but Jesus, if he's not human, it does nothing for us. So the fact that the Gnostics were saying, man, Jesus wasn't actually human and that his spirit left him before he died would say that, man, the, the death on the cross wasn't actually good enough for us. Because there's this uh, theological term, penal substitutionary atonement. And what this means is penal refers to punishment. Substitution means, okay, someone else took the place. And atonement is uh, to pay the price and to pay the price for our sin, to pay our debt. So penal substitutionary atonement would say that Jesus was the perfect right substitute, paying for our, pay, taking our punishment and paying our debt. And you see, in order to take humanity's debt, in order to take humanity's uh, place, what would he have to be? A human. He had to be human in order for the sacrifice to be worth it. Now you might be asking, but, but I thought he was God. Well, he is, he is God. And now we're, we're delving into a lot of theological topics. There's another theological phrase called the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union would mean that uh, Jesus is truly God and truly man. So it means that he is truly God, truly man. So that means, man, we cannot have a Christ who died for us unless he is both of those things. Jesus had to be both, otherwise we have no hope here. So John, from the jump, is correcting their belief. He's like, look, we know he was real because we literally touched him. We heard him and we saw him. It wasn't a figment of our imagination. It wasn't some spirit that we just thought we saw for three years. No, no, no. We touched him. We saw this. We were with him. So when he says the word of life, he's talking about um, the gospel of Jesus. So what would that be? 
So typically in a, in a sermon, you might hear us uh, preach the gospel towards the end, but here literally, he, he's bringing us to the gospel immediately. So John here is reminding us, and he's reminding his readers of the gospel that Jesus did in fact die. Look, we've been preaching this to you. He said, look, I've been preaching to you that Jesus died on the cross. I've been preaching to you that he, he rose again on the third day and that he is now ascended into heaven. And that the only way you can have eternal life is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. So what is the first way you know that you have eternal life? It's by believing that. So that you may know the truth. Knowing the truth is knowing Jesus. The first way you can know you have eternal life is believing the message that they have been proclaiming since their ministry began when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. So that's where John is starting. Let's continue. Verse 3. Verse 2. The life appeared. We have seen and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you guys know much about philosophy, you probably have heard the name Plato. And many of the Gnostics were actually following a teaching of Plato, which is why they were being led astray into believing that Jesus wasn't human. Here, so in the Greek philosophy, there was another understanding when, when the word fellowship is brought out, they would understand fellowship between people. They'd understand a, a horizontal fellowship between man and another man, or human and another human. John here, in another subtle, slight, direct attack at what they were preaching, is that they have fellowship with who? With God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The gift of fellowship. He's saying, man... If you believe this, you are a Christian. If you believe this message, you are a Christian. And now you have fellowship with us, um, and we have fellowship with the Father. So you have fellowship with the Father. Saying, man, you've been adopted into the same family we were adopted into. You're a part of the same system we're a part of because um, we're, there's no hierarchy in this thing called Christianity. It's not like, oh, John and the apostles are, uh, they've received some divine revelation that isn't accessible to anyone else. It's like, no, 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 no. You guys are, have access to the same father, to the same son. You have fellowship with him. The Gnostic teaching had infiltrated so deep that they began to believe that uh, there was a hierarchy and that you, the way out of, um, sorry, let me reword this, that people could have a special revelation and that they, that would put them on a hierarchy above other people. So John here is saying, look, that's not the case. Or what I'm saying is that if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life and you have fellowship with God, the Father and God, the Son. And how profound is it that we humans, sinful from birth, if we have placed our faith in him, we have fellowship with God Almighty. You see, when I read through 1 John, I can, I can often very quickly read past this. 
saying, man, you have fellowship with God the Father and with Jesus. And John wants us to know if we do truly have fellowship. So let's continue the proof of fellowship. Point number two, the proof of fellowship. Verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let me make note that I skipped verse 4 on purpose. I'll come back. So John here is making the argument of, okay, now how do you know if you have fellowship? How do you know if you have fellowship with God the Father and with Jesus? In our understanding, how do you know if you're a Christian? How do you truly know if you're a Christian? That's the question we're essentially answering. So he starts out with the theological truth that God is light, and he's making us statements that saying, in him, no, there's no darkness at all. So he's first starting out with, okay, in God, God is light. The devil would be understood to be darkness. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, the truth is not in us. We lie and do not live out the truth. So John starts here with saying, okay, God is light. The devil is darkness, and if we claim that, man, we have fellowship with God, but when we look at our life, our life shows no repentance, no remorse of sin, no turning from it. Okay, we're living in the darkness, and what it says here is that we lie and do not live out the truth. But okay, it says, but, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Okay, so if we walk in the light, that means, man, okay, as we walk in the light, we can have uh, purification of sin. All right, if we claim to be without sin, verse say, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So here it seems like John is doing this circular argument, and it's kind of confusing. Let's continue. Let's read it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. But verse 6 said, if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live, live out the truth. So how can both these things be true? You see, John, as I said at the beginning, John writes in very black and white terms, and he's not giving much um, leeway or gray area. So he's saying, look, if you claim to have fellowship and you walk in the darkness, you lie. But if you claim to not have sin, you lie. So which is it? John here is painting a picture of what it looks like to be a Christian and what it means to be a Christian. You see, the Gnostics were saying, man, we don't sin. He's saying, you're a liar. Also, if, if you say that, man, I, I do nothing but sin, but I still got fellowship with God, you're also a liar. You see, there's two ditches to this. One side that says, man, I can, I, I, because Jesus died for me, I can do whatever I want. And the other side here, the other ditch in this text is, man, I don't sin at all, so I am good. So you have the person who thinks they're perfect, and you have the other person who thinks, man, it doesn't matter what I do because God was perfect. And, and John says the only way you know you have fellowship with Jesus and with God the Father is if your life looks different. There's a saying, if your faith hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. And that is what John is saying here. If, if you placing your faith in Jesus has not led to you having any remorse for sin or any desire to, to put sin behind you, you are not a Christian. If you've played the religious games, you've gone to church and you've, done, you've said the prayer and you've done the things, but you have no remorse for sin. If you have no love for God and no hatred of sin, you are not saved. The end. That is what John is saying. You might be offended by that, but don't be offended with me. Be offended with John because John is pointing out here very clearly that this is the truth. The only way we know we have fellowship with God is, okay, if we, if fellowship with God means being in relationship with him. So if we're in relationship with God, that means we should begin to look more like him, right? So if you guys think about your life, you, you see this probably on social media. Okay, the people you surround yourself with are the people you become, right? People, you look more like those people, which is why all throughout Proverbs, it talks about, man, you should be wise about the people you're spending time with. Well, here he's saying, man, if you have fellowship with, if you have a relationship with, if you are connected to God, you should start to look more holy. God is holy. We sang about that. So we should begin to look more holy. Now the other ditch is, I'm not saying you're supposed to be perfect. Because it says here, if you say you were without sin, you deceive yourself. So it doesn't mean that Christians don't struggle with sin. I mean, we could walk through the Ten Commandments, and I could tell you how I've committed different sins in the past few weeks, how I've probably broken all of them some way or another. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The fruit of a Christian is a desire to look more like Jesus. And you might go through seasons where it looks better than others. And maybe some of you read 1 John and, and you often get frightened or discouraged because you're wondering, man, 
Am I producing enough fruit? That's naturally the question that comes out when a text like this is preached. Am I, am I producing enough fruit? Am I, am I living holy enough? Am I doing enough? And I need to be clear that your salvation comes from the blood of Jesus alone. In John 15, we see that we are called to abide in him. And he says, if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. If you go read John 15, the command is not bear fruit. The command is abide or remain with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Be with Jesus. He says, if you do that, you will bear fruit. So often we can flip it, and we, there's religions out there, Catholicism or Islam or uh, different religions out there that are saying, man, you need to do these good things to get to God. You need to do these things, and, and then, then you can get to God. And I, I need to be clear that I am not preaching that tonight. And that is not what John's saying. That's why John started with, man, look, you need to believe in the, the eternal one. You need to believe in Jesus. And if you believe in him, you have fellowship with us. And that means you have fellowship with God. And if you know what the gospel says, it says that in your sin, you were separated from God. So John is saying, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have fellowship with God. And the way you know you have fellowship with God is, and the way you know you've been saved, the way you know you are a Christian, is if you have a desire to look more and more like Jesus. And it's a journey. Sanctification is a process. It is not an immediate thing. So as you guys are living out your life, it is not, hey, you need to be perfect every day. It is not, man, you should always be bearing more and more fruit because if you looked at my life, there have been seasons in my life after I was in ministry where, man, there were seasons of backsliding. There were seasons where I had where I was like, man, I don't know if I really want to pursue God with my full attention right now. Man, I'm getting captivated by binge-watching that Netflix, or I'm getting captivated by uh, pursuing things of the world. And in, in deep inside me, there was something that said, man, but you want God and you need God. And I was shoving that down. And there might be a season where you're doing that. And I would tell you to repent, as I had someone tell me to do the same. Turn back to your love, Jesus. Verse 4 says, so that your joy, our joy may be complete. As we preach through this, as we preach through, man, what it looks like to live a life as a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, having fellowship with God means that we can have fullness of joy. So this might seem burdensome to think about your life and think, man, am I, am I bearing enough fruit? And that's, that's not what you're supposed to be asking yourself. You might look at Christianity like, oh, man, this seems like this painful, dreadful thing. But John is saying, man, your joy is complete with fellowship with God. The way you receive joy is by having fellowship with God. And it's not just some joy. It's not just small amounts of joy. It's fullness of joy. Verse 9, again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Christian, maybe you're in here and you just can't break that 
um, pornography and masturbation habit. Maybe you're in here and, man, you are just wrecked with gossip. Maybe you're in here and you struggle time and time again with comparing yourself, and it just seems to have a grip on you. Maybe you're in here and you are a compulsive liar, and you don't even mean to sometimes, but it just comes out. Maybe you're in here and you are a Christian, but there is a sin that seems to have a hold on you, and you can't get rid of it. And you struggle, man, do I, do I still have the grace of God for that thing even when I've done it again, when I've fallen again? It says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us of all unrighteousness. That means for the thing you did in the dark last night is forgiven. It means for the judgment you had for that person, there's grace and forgiveness for that. That means for the gossip, for you slandering your brother or your sister, that means there's grace for that. For that lie that you told, there's grace for that. And what he asks us to do is to acknowledge our sinful state before him. And what it says is we acknowledge our sinful state before him, he will forgive us our sins. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. This dichotomy and this seemingly contradictory statement of, man, it, you should not continue living in sin. That's what it's saying. Living in willful sin with no repentance would reflect that, man, I don't truly care about this. I don't truly care that I'm sinning against God. I don't care that this is a part of my life. I'm going to willfully do it and not give any cares in the world. That's what it looks like to live in the darkness. There might be sin that you're habitually struggling with and you're confessing it to people and you're taking it to the Lord, and you're asking him to forgive you. You're asking him for strength to move past it. Okay, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. There's a difference there. He says, I'm writing this so that you will not sin, because the goal is to live more holy. The goal is to have fellowship with God and to be more and more holy as we continue to live with him to be more and more sanctified as we continue to walk with him so that we'll look more like him. Verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Very briefly, if you read that and think that means that everyone is forgiven, we have earlier in the passage where it says, man, if, if you claim to be without sin... You walk in the, if we have felt, claimed our fellowship with him and live in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. We see multiple places throughout this passage where it's saying, man, what it looks like to be in the kingdom of darkness. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of darkness. So verse 2 in chapter 2 is not saying that everyone's sins are forgiven. John is using the idea of the world to say, man, it's not just for you people, but for people everywhere. 
which ties back to why we go overseas. Because it wasn't just for the Israelite, it was for the Greek. It's not just for the American, it's for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. PC3, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're bringing in here tonight. I don't know ultimately if you have been um, struggling with sin and you have not confessed to anybody. If you are a Christian, you can receive forgiveness. You have received forgiveness for that sin, and you can continue to receive forgiveness for that sin. Some of you in here, I don't know everyone in here. I don't know where you're at. You might not be a Christian. And I have a deep burden not to let people be confused about where they're at because that's what John is doing here. So quite simply, if you do not love God and hate sin, there's moments you might love. If you do not love God and hate sin, you are not a Christian. I'm not saying you'll do that perfectly, Christian. If you have said a prayer, but nothing's ever changed in your life, you are not a Christian. If you have gone to church and said, man, that's what makes me a Christian, you are not a Christian. For 18 years, I went to church, but I was not a Christian until I placed my faith in Jesus and repented of my sin. You can play religious games, but that does not make you a Christian. The way you know you are a Christian is by the Holy Spirit living inside of you and that Holy Spirit drawing you to God and you having a desire to fight your sin. Not perfectly, not every time, but when you fall, you turn back to Jesus, you receive his grace upon grace, and you continue to walk in light of that. Paul says, where sin is increased, grace is increased all the more. So what shall we say then? Should we go on sinning? By no means. So when your sin, Christian, is at nine, grace is already at ten. But what does Paul say after that? He confirms what John is saying here. Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound even more? By no means, he says. PC3, your joy ultimately is not going to be found anywhere in this world. It's not going to be found in you accomplishing everything you've dream, ever dreamed of. It's not going to be found in you finding the perfect wife or the perfect husband. It's not going to be found in you acing all your classes. It's not going to be found in that promotion. It's not going to be found in winning the approval of your parents. It's not going to be found in having your trials come to an end. It's not going to be found in anything other than Jesus. I write this to you so that our joy may be complete, John says. Our, collectively, our joy is found in Jesus. I so desperately want you to experience that. I so desperately want you to experience what it looks like to have joy living with Jesus. So tonight, as we close, I have one simple call. Would you guys spend some time now by yourself or if you feel like you need to talk to someone, get someone of the same gender and you can do that, but would you guys spend time personally now confessing your sin to God? If you are a Christian in here, would you 
spend time confessing your sin, and would you have assurance that you have been purified by the blood of Jesus and that you have forgiveness of sins because of him? If there are sins that you have not been confessing or sins that you've been hiding in the darkness, that's where Satan wants to keep it. So that's why I say if you want to talk to someone, uh, myself and Hannah will be available, and Jake, most likely, wherever he is. Come talk to someone. Confess your sin and receive forgiveness. Receive what it looks like to live in the light. And if you are not a Christian, I would challenge you to wrestle with man. Okay, John says that what Jesus did actually did happen. So would you wrestle with man? Do I believe enough that Jesus is who he says he is? He did what he said he would do and that he's worth following. And that's a simple call for you. If you're in here and maybe you've been playing religious games, would you repent and trust Christ? If you're in here and you're wrestling with that, again, come talk to one of us on staff or a student leader. So we're going to go into a time of worship, but uh, I'm going to invite them up. But I want you guys to just stay seated for a bit and just wrestle with that. Spend time right now uninterrupted with Jesus, confessing your sin to him. Let me pray.